ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Giant time is here. That's right, we're still talking. Hello, Mary Lou, prom night two on Kill by Kill. Well, greetings and salutations, Internet. It's your old pal Patrick Hamilton coming to you once again from Hamilton High, or as close to it as we can possibly afford. This is the Kill by Kill podcast where we are dedicated to celebrating the least discussed component of any horror film, the characters. We're going to unpack all the gory details of Prom Night 2 in the hopes that a Hamilton High prom date's untimely end is just the beginning of the jokes that we can make about them. And as always... There's only one person I trust to come to my house with an undescribably large book and tell me the plot of the movie we happen to be in, the one and only Gina Radcliffe. How are you doing, Gina? What's shaking, Daddy-o? <laughs> oh, people don't talk like that anymore, Gina. Well, I don't know. Are, are, we, are we in downtown Squaresville or what, man? <laughs> People seem to get very upset when our our heroine, Vicky, begins to take on Mary Lou's vernacular. They react like 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 she's farted in their general direction. <laughs> or just showed up in some sort of like polyester pantsuit. <laughs> I've, I mean, we'll get to it, but when she shows up in saddle shoes and a voluminous skirt, which is no more voluminous than anyone else's crazy big outfit. Everyone is wearing stop making sense clothes in this movie. <laughs> They're like, oh, oh my God, how dare you? Like it's offensive to the eye. All right, we're going to get to it, but I, I don't want to scare you, Gina. We are not alone. That's right. Our special guest is a writer and journalist and host of two Maximum Fun podcasts, Who Shot You with Ricky Carmona and Alonzo Doralde, and her own solo effort where women writers, directors, and performers talk about their favorite genre films, Switchblade Sisters, the one and only April Wolf. How are you doing, April? Hi, I'm doing I'm doing well. I'm I've got this cold that makes my voice a little bit deeper than I've usually have it so oh yes shouldn't i be taking dedications with this voice i think <laughs> that's right living on a cliffside inside of a lighthouse flirting with a slightly pudgy man who uh gives you the weather forecast from the naval base yeah yeah or either either that or or uh telling the city where the warriors are heading towards <laughs> <laughs> that's right boppers <laughs> How does she know all that stuff? What? What is so? It's not. No one can send her texts. That is. That is the one part of that movie I just don't particularly understand. I mean, clearly she's dedication. psychic. Yeah, psychic would explain it. It's the only thing the movie is missing. Well, before we go down what would be a very entertaining road of talking about the Warriors, let's return to prom night two. Now, April, you are steeped in movie history. You are a fantastic uh, movie reviewer. And so I have to ask you, when was the first time you came across the cinematic presentation that is Hello, Mary Lou, Prom Night 2? I'm I'm very sad that it wasn't until you told me I needed to watch it. Very <laughs> sad it was not until last week because I had heard about it and I had been wanting to see it for quite a while just because I knew the lead was going to be Michael Ironside. Mm-hmm. So I it was on my list and I never got to watch it. And this gave me an excuse to watch it twice. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, it's uh, it hasn't been available. Uh, if it came out on DVD, I, I never saw it because I would have purchased it right away. 
and it's certainly not currently available on Blu-ray for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was only when it showed up on Amazon that Gina and I started jumping up and down (laughs) celebrating for joy because here it was. It was in a place where everyone could see it. Amazon has so many interesting streaming options for horror right now that, that I, I mean, it made me go down a rabbit hole after after this. I was very excited about putting this uh, all of these on my watch list. So, yeah, I'm I, grateful. I, I need to get Demon Wind in there very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> this really awesome looking cover art. I, I doubt that the movie lives up to that cover art, but anything called Demon Wind, um, I'm going to you know give it a shot. <laughs> I, I feel like I've seen that one, and and but it's one of those like possessed by the devil or some sort of uh, demonic force where it's indicated by the people start drooling oatmeal, which is like a big effect in eighties oh. horror. It's just I guess cause it's just so gross looking, and it's a nice cheap effect. But I think they use that in Prince of Darkness and, mm. and definitely a lot of demonic possession movies. That one I definitely remember the name. But it's yeah. probably, I'm sure I'm thinking of at least six different movies, very similar plots. Yeah. <laughs> Anything with wind awesome. in a title. It's like, wind always makes me think of farts, though. So I <laughs> I immediately am hesitant to watch something like that. As long as it's not in Smell-O-Vision, I think you're going to be okay. But I, yeah. don't know what your, I don't know what your setup is at home, to be honest with you. So I'm talking <laughs> out of school. With that said, let's get right back into it. Um, let's do a quick body count. Who is still left alive in Prom Night 2 at this point in the movie? Well, let's start with Vicky. How could I sum her up? Oh, I know. She's a sentient spiral perm with two braids on either side, which I'm not entirely sure what the point of is. Her hair is crazy, and I can't decide if it's crazy good or crazy bad. Well, when she she gets possessed and it gets both bigger and crimpier, which is <laughs> which is remarkable. Uh, someone on Twitter referred to it as Bernadette Peters esque, yes. but I I think that's a disservice to the uh, I, maybe I, I'm just comparing. It, it's very hard to compare anyone to Bernadette Peters. The talent, the the chops. She can sing. She can dance. She she will charm your pants off. And while I think this actress is actually, it starts off a little rocky, but I think she's trying to play vanilla so that when she gets possessed later on, she can really dig in, maybe. <laughs> I like her. I like her as vanilla and as the evil. She's she's good. I was yeah. into her. I was into her hair, too. I I had that hair, so I, I knew it. I felt oh. it. Yeah. Wow. I, I wouldn't even know where to start with that hair. <laughs> she kind of piles it on top of her hair like she's making a, a trifle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of the 80s style where you're like, there's just more is better. Just do more. <laughs> anything. True. Uh, and of course, we have her boyfriend, Craig. Now, uh, he's the kind of significant other who will buy you a second gold cross just in case you need an extra dose of holy to cast away all those impure dry humping thoughts. Uh, he also owns and operates a motorcycle. He's uh, the rare boyfriend in this movie who actually remains a nice guy from beginning to end. Yes. He he does not reveal himself to be cheating on her or, or you know, a secret date rapist waiting to happen. <laughs> He's actually a genuinely nice guy from beginning to end of movie. Yes. He has a genuine niceness, which is a nice balancing act for when his girlfriend is going to become possessed by a deceased prom queen and start <laughs> killing people psychically. Like we all knew something called Prom Night 2 would be doing. <laughs> 
we have Principal Dad, a.k.a. Billy Northam, uh, played by, of course, Michael Ironside. Now, he's a character designed by this film to demonstrate the positive power of manslaughter. He takes that initial incident of killing someone accidentally and builds on it to become a pillar of this community. Yeah, it's it's very strange how uh, neither he or uh, Reverend Buddy ever left town. Now, you, you would think that your girlfriend or, or your, your, your secret paramour you dies horribly in front of your very eyes. The, you know, the day after you graduate high school, you're just taken off for as far you know, within the continental United States you can get. But no, they're... They're still hanging around. They're but they're still they're still you know kind of lo- knowingly looking at each other like I know what you did. Yeah, I know what you did too. And just you know they're just in each other's atmosphere forever. That's so Catholic of them though. <laughs> That's true. That that is true. <laughs> they're just gonna like sit in their own filth and do penance for the rest of their lives. You know, like that's. That's like the epitome of Catholicism, I would say. Yeah. Can you imagine what Michael Ironside's filth would be for him to sit in? Because he is a singularly weird actor, and he brings an intense energy to this. It's like he stepped off the set of scanners and walked (laughs) into a principal's office, and there's not a ton of change to him. Now, in other films, he's definitely a, a different kind of energy, but here... He's just full of nerves and ticks, and he, he feels like anyone who talks to him is burning a cigarette on his skin. Yeah, he's just clenching his teeth like like no one's business. I expected to hear like just his jaw just cracking. <laughs> Here, here's some dream casting for you, or nightmare casting, depending on how you look at it. What about a father and son movie starring Michael Ironside and Michael Shannon? Ooh. Oh. <laughs> Man. I don't know... If my spirit can take that, it would probably it, have to leave my body just hearing is, about Is it. there a camera that could take this? Because <laughs> I, I feel like that much intensity would just be a, a, just it would just come up on camera as just this glowing white ball of energy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, now that you've put it out into the universe, I almost demand that it happen. Because they're, they're about, that's, they're about the right age for that like michael ironside's in his 40s and not no like michael shannon's in his 40s michael ironside's got to be in his 70s right at this point yeah it works yeah. hollywood look me up I'll, I'll write a script have him play father and son that's right sign a check for seven hundred thousand dollars we got got something going here i'm ready seven hundred thousand dollars <laughs> it's a flop house reference well, no have, yeah that's I'll right quit, <laughs> I'll, quit my, I'll quit my job tomorrow you know I, I live i live in brooklyn i'll have that spent in about two months <laughs> oh my <true>. god <laughs> it's you know michael ironside he was doing what well, he did scanners in 81 at least mm-hmm. that's when it came out and then this is what like 87 or something like that he's a method actor which makes me wonder if he was just in this character for like <laughs> six years straight just getting and into the skin of bill of billy nordham yeah yeah he's been like preparing for this role since scanners and he's just never left it I can believe that 100%. Uh, we also have the flip side to his manslaughter coin, and that's Reverend Buddy. He's a guy in the movie that's gone out of his way to inform us that he's uh, wasting his unnaturally large penis on a celibate life in the ministry, which is unfortunate. I mean, that big penis is going to waste. It is a waste because there never seems to be anybody in his church. No, it's very empty for a church. That is next to a cemetery, or is it far away? 
when he walks out the door and ends up in a cemetery, you'd think it's right next to it, but you never see them next to one another, and they seem like very different places. I just feel like the, the entire town is about maybe five blocks wide. It certainly doesn't have a lot of high school-age students, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> let's continue on down the line. <laughs> there aren't a lot of dead people yet. Uh, we have Monica. This is uh, Vicky's uh, best friend for life and uh, a professional Justine Bateman lookalike. And then we have Josh. He's supposed to be a, a nerd or something, but he spends the entire movie dressed like he's desperate to feature at the Chuckle Hut. Everything is zhuzhed, and he's also, he appears to be wearing outsider art on his lapel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if, if, um, if Monica is a uh, Justine Bateman impersonator, I think we already mentioned, though, that, uh, that this guy is just straight up Val Kilmer. Oh, he's I mean, just really like, drunk. I mean, like, practically, like, if you could sue uh, someone for copyright infringement for pretending to be a person, <laughs> this, this, this guy would have been hit with numerous lawsuits he's he's definitely seen real genius and decided that's what i need to do and i don't blame him because when i saw real genius i decided that's what i needed to do but i was in junior high school and everyone said oh man shut the fuck up you're you're not that funny you're not that charming and you sure as hell ain't that good looking Everybody wants to be Val Kilmer, or so everybody wanted to be Val Kilmer. Everybody ended up being the other guy. You're talking about the guy who's in his back seat. The the I don't even remember what his call sign is from uh, Top Gun. The one is he the one who ended up being in Always with Steven? No, Spielberg? I'm not even talking about. Him. I'm talking about the the kid, oh. the one that that oh. uh, that moved that his roommate, like the 14 year old. Oh yeah. no. <laughs> No, he has voluptuous lips, though. You have to give him that. Uh, well, better, he also better is like a than... Justine Bateman impersonator. <laughs> better, better being him than being Kent. Well, I've seen this movie many times. I just realized that. <laughs> wow, have I seen this movie many, many times? There are very few things as funny as when they tell him, "What about that time I caught you naked with a bowl of Jello?" And he says, "What? I was hot and I was hungry." <laughs> Perfect excuse. Yeah, you really uh, think about it. You really think about it. It does make a, sense. <laughs> there's, I mean, there's not much else one could really do, quite frankly. Um, now we have Kelly. Now, she's uh, up until Oh, I love month. Kelly. I love Kelly so much. She's my favorite. <laughs> she is definitely aiming for something, and she is totally nailing it. And up until this point, I would have said, this is the person who's trying to audition to be a Heather. The dumbest Heather possible. Mm-hmm. But then I just discovered that Paramount Network said, oh, hold my beer. We have dumber Heathers. And they tried that. It did not go out so well. <laughs> That's so sad. <laughs> it really is. It is so sad. There's like all these people who put so much work in that. And it's like, no. Oh. No, you're not allowed. Mm-mm. <laughs> <laughs> not that way. Nuh-uh. It's not a good thing. Uh, not alive, but very much still present in this film is Mary Lou. And she's the kind of villain you get when someone has a sex dream after watching Nightmare on Elm Street and Twin Peaks back to back. And I'm here for it. <laughs> I never thought those two things went together until this movie. And they totally go together. <laughs> the makers of this film, the Canadian makers of this film. 
new. The Canadian geniuses behind this motion picture. They should have put that on the box art from the Canadian geniuses who brought you prom night. Oh my god, the Canadians hated this movie too. <laughs> it got so it got oh my god, I got the worst reviews in Canada. I was doing research and I was like, oh wow. <laughs> Americans were into it. Yeah. I mean I saw it um on video because I at the uh, by the time I caught up with this some point in the either early early 90s or late 80s i was working at um the first blockbuster video in in southern california uh i say that as a point of pride because at the point at that point it was not like a big behemoth it was just like oh that's a really big video store and what i saw i'm like oh prom night i've watched prom night this will be like i love slasher movies so i'll watch that and it mystified me and then i watched it again and then i rewatched it and i rewatched it <laughs> and it slowly worked its magic on me yeah it, it was a, a staple on cable for a while and it was it was one of those movies where i watched it and i was like okay that was interesting and then uh it was on so often and you know i i slept so little as a as an as an anxious teenager that i would just turn on the tv and it'd be on at 12 30 and, and i'd be like well i guess i'm watching hello mary lou again and I think within a two-year time period, I probably watched it about 10 or 15 times. Yeah, there's no better. It, this movie was built for USA Up All Night. Oh, absolutely, oh. yeah. No, so they didn't have, like, a Canada Up All Night? Like, that's the... Like, did, did Canada have, like, a USA version of, yeah, of they, like, the they, network? They, they like did, but a... they only showed American movies. I'm completely making that up. I have no idea. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, like, they must have had, like, a USA channel kind of thing. Maybe not. Yeah. Canada people, you've been listening to the podcast according to my metrics. Hit me up on the twits. Let me know what was your USA variant. So when we last left Hamilton High, the vengeful spirit of Mary Lou murdered a girl for daring to recycle her prom crown in art class, which seems a tad over the top, but there are not many death scenes that start with, I'm going to chop your head off, then I'm going to choke you uh, on my own uh, uh, queen... Uh, what is that? Uh, cloak? A ca- a cloak? cape. Yeah, cape. 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 Uh, capelet. And then I'm just going to throw you out the window for good measure so that we could get one shot that looks exactly like the original prom night. <laughs> From this, we cut immediately to Reverend Buddy's extremely gothic church, where we find him praying at a candlelit altar of Mary Lou, who, lucky for us, and for him, took a headshot in 1957. What's her, it's her yearbook picture. Is it's it? Just, oh, It's the same, it's the same picture, yeah. Yes, it is. One, one where you find out that her nickname in high school was Hot Stuff. <laughs> it's so creative. <laughs> and yet, I, you know, very I, I, accurate. I, I was going to say, is, it, is that supposed to be kind of a, a gag because she ends up, like, just burning to death or i mean i mean oh is this like is this a two is this a, god <laughs> is this a that, two oh god is this a, is this a two-prong thing here where you know she's kind of slutty and she also you know, immolates to death you ha- oh my god that is a key that is a key that i did not catch whatsoever but there's every every indication that ron oliver would definitely put that into a script oh my god <laughs> This is genius. <laughs> this movie has layers. Oh, so um, good. So yeah, he's got a candlelit uh, altar of a teenage girl. 
like a normal Catholic priest. I'm so glad that she uh, that he blew up her her headshot from the the yearbook. That's excellent. This doesn't last very long. The the candle sort of burst into flame and he rears back, but we're not really sure what that's about. It just that I guess the spirit of Mary Lou has been unlocked, so she's slowly but surely leaking into the real world, I guess. She can control flames? Sure. She can control everything else. Why not? This is the point where the movie basically becomes an extended heavy metal video. <laughs> Because there's 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 a lot of candles, uh-huh. there's a lot of you know, dreary hallways, a lot of shadows. It mm-hmm. it, it kind of becomes like a like a docking video. The only thing we're missing is really high waisted g strings, but that's okay. I can insert them in my mind. <laughs> uh, the next day, Jess's body is discovered at school. School is about to begin, and they still have not removed the body. Or told anybody the reason why there are fire trucks and police cars everywhere. They've just kind of left the body out, which I find odd. Oh, well, I, I guess this town isn't particularly uh, highly observant. And then smash cut to her funeral. We don't know how much time has passed, but enough time for them to organize her funeral because they got to put that body in the ground. Oh, it was a quick funeral. It was like a, a you know expedient. They're like, let's do it right now. Let's get it done. The, I mean, that's that's the Catholics should be selling those kinds of funerals. I think they got they got to be done in time for prom. <laughs> it's true. Everybody like, just jumps right back into planning this prom like it's nothing. Oh, yeah. And there's one mention of, gee, it seems a little fast to, I don't know why we're still having the dance, you know, if she isn't going to be here for it. But then everyone kind of does a a sort of hunch their shoulders, and they just go about their day. Like, they just don't care. Uh, I have to assume this is mere hours later, and people just had a lot of black clothes available to them. Yeah, Vicky looks like she's wearing a pantsuit, which is which is which is odd for a uh, a seventeen year old girl to wear a pantsuit to a funeral. I I just think that her separates are so close together in color that we simply cannot tell. She makes some interesting sartorial choices. <laughs> I mean, I guess she is a person who uh, she lives in a, a religiously oppressive household, and so obviously she's not going to have a lot of body-bearing uh, clothes, which is perfectly fine. No one should be forced to wear these things. Still, everything is tight where it should be loose and loose where it should be tight. Even when she when she makes her transition into dressing like Mary Lou, I mean, the outfit doesn't really fit her very well, which is which is kind of interesting because she's supposed to be kind of sexing it up a little bit. And I mean, you can, like, the first time you see her, she's, like, kind of pulling the, 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 the shoulder up on her sweater, and it's all <laughs> baggy and hanging off of her. And it's like, is she wearing Mary Lou's actual clothing? That- or, or did she just kind of happen to find this sort of vaguely 50s-style outfit and saddle shoes in her house? Because she does look like she's wearing somebody else's clothing, but where would she, where would she find Mary Lou's clothing? I assume that she would find Mary Lou's clothing either at Reverend Buddy's house, wherever he resides, or Principal Dad's. If you told me they had a collection of her clothes sitting in their closet, I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> where, did, where did they get them? Did they ask her parents after a funeral, hey, uh, you know, can I take that sweater? Maybe those shoes, you know. Mary Lou's too cool to have parents, Gina. <laughs> oh, God. 
Well, well she, she is a she is a twenty five year old high school senior, so she probably does not still live at home. This is very true. She lives on the wrong side of the tracks and smokes cools. And uh, yeah, I think what if, what if because her parents, Vicky's parents, went to school um, with Mary Lou. So what if it's her mother's clothes from when she was in school? I, 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 I actually thought of that. Like, she had to have gotten these from somewhere. And I think it's one of those questions you just should never ask. Just yes. I, as I was watching, I was just like, nope, uh, the, this question came into my mind, and I'm just going to put it away. It's fine. She just has these clothes. Well, again, it's like, again, like a, the heavy metal video trope where, you know, the, the woman opens the door and there's like a sexy leather outfit. She opens the door and there's some sort of, you know, vaguely Joni Cunningham outfit just hanging in her closet. Just sure. waiting for that time. We've all we come on, be honest. We've all got that outfit. Just waiting for a, a metal video time. <laughs> you never know when it's gonna be. And, and, and when it, it when you get the call, you had better be ready. And it may not fit, just kinda deal with it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> they're not asking for you to show up in clothes that fit. You shouldn't be in them very long. Uh Props to the one background extra at this funeral who is wearing what amounts to Black Panther Party cosplay uh, to this <laughs> religious service. I found it very funny. Uh, Reverend Buddy blames her death on, quote, violence we see in our streets, TV sets, and movie screens. So I assume that he's been bought and paid for by the NRA. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I'll or it's another gag like uh, which which one of the Friday Friday Thirteenth was you know kids sure have a weird idea of entertainment. Yes. Oh and yeah. That, yeah. That, that very self-referential violence we see on the screens. Wink. I would appreciate it more if Reverend Buddy would look directly into camera and go <laughs> wink, <laughs> and then continue on. Reverend Buddy is like. He's so good. The actor who plays him, um, he runs the Stratford Festival, Stratford upon Avon Shakespeare Festival in Canada that I used to go to when I was a kid. Wow. And um, I don't know if he's still alive, but he's like a you know Shakespearean actor. He's not trained in like American like Stanislavski or um, uh, method acting at all. He's I mean, and that's pretty apparent. Like watching him, you're like, yes, every priest should be played by someone who does Shakespeare. Any priest in a horror film has to be played by someone who is very good at Shakespeare. I don't think the acting in this necessarily, at least not from older characters, comes off in any way, shape, or form as amateurish or embarrassing. Uh, And I say this as as Gina and I have gone through almost every Friday the 13th movie by this point. (laughs) And I can tell you, there's not a lot of Shakespeare uh, experts in those films. No. Although no, I no. do believe that Crazy Ralph totally pervs on people. I just, when I see him, I believe that. <laughs> After this, the funeral, Vicky takes a walk to Mary Lou's grave, and the soundtrack to the movie begins to have an orgy between gray whales and empty plastic garbage cans. <laughs> it's just a lot of wailing and pounding. <laughs> Um, but we get to see her grave uh, for the first time. It won't be the last, even for this section of the movie. We then return back to school. This is when we hear that it, it's a shame that the prom is still continuing, uh, even though her friend is dead. Uh, this is when we begin to see everyone else's high school outfits. And 
I'm going to make a comparison here, and I, I want to know if you guys are okay with this. Half this cast seems to be walking around in prints so bold that the only element missing is the fresh Prince of Bel-Air spinning on a throne in front of them. <laughs> yeah, I took a, very... a screenshot of, of one, I think it's like at uh, 3141 in, in this film. Um, I took a screenshot because I was like, yes, three bold prints in the same frame. It reminded me of like the first two seasons of Murder, She Wrote, and I got so <laughs> excited. I was so into it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, these are these are the kind of outfits that I would look at, you know, when I was because I was about fifteen or sixteen when this movie came out. So these are kind of the the uh, the outfits that I would look at in issues of like seventeen and teen beat and be like, man, I wish I could wear that, but I would get my ass kicked so hard. You know, just just <laughs> mixing patterns was only a thing you ever saw on television or movies. You you could not get away in real life with wearing plaid and polka dot together or floral print and stripes. You just did not do that. And oh. I found and and I I you know reached back to sixteen year old Gina and I was very envious of the choices people were making in this movie. Oh man, I wonder what people thought of me because I definitely pattern mixed, and I don't think I was very popular. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it was probably that I couldn't get away with it, and I still did it. Um, I had exceptionally loud clothing, but I think that's the only thing they sold boys for the most part was uh, clothing that that was so crazy it didn't matter if you mixed or matched it; it just looked insane, anyways. So never one, no one really looked at you cross. There's a couple things we learn in the sequence. One. Kelly is campaigning for prom queen by hanging uh, flyers up everywhere, which is really more of a I'm running for student body council than prom queen. But OK, number two, she has drafted her own off market Alexander Gudinov to be her sexy toady. <laughs> and three, when she makes an OK symbol, it's like someone showed it to her two seconds before she had to do it on screen. Like, she's never made the okay hand gesture in her life the way she's doing it. She has a lot of chunky jewelry, and she's very deliciously bitchy. And she basically tells Vicky, uh, you don't have any sort of shot. I don't know why you're even trying. At no point does Vicky, up until this point, ever state, I want to be prom queen. This does not seem to be her desire or her need, but Kelly really seems to think she is the biggest competition of her. I, I don't quite understand. This we don't. Yeah, we don't. This... We don't see what her any of her other competition is. Yeah. And and again, in the last episode, we touched upon this a little bit. The whole well-worn trope of the you know the prom king and queen vote being this huge thing for weeks leading up to the prom, and and. To my knowledge, that is not something that carries over into real life. I mean, maybe in a couple days before the prom, but with all this scheming and planning and going behind people's backs and, spoiler, offering sexual favors to certain characters to to, uh, to get them to pull some strings for you to win. But it's just, it, it's prom always seems to be a much bigger thing in, in movies and TV than it ever is in real life. I didn't know that you could campaign. I had yeah. no idea that that was like a thing. I just thought you had to be like a good or popular person. Like, wh wh like it's suddenly turned into like class president or something with this movie. It's so weird. Yeah, I don't know how she's able to campaign for something that, like you said, is is really about popularity 
when it comes down to it. And yeah, it's I mean, so what's your what's the platform? What's the platform you run on that you that you look particularly good in taffeta? <laughs> I mean, what is the you know, mm-hmm. what is what are the what are the benefits that you that you offer to people? Well, we know one of the benefits she offers to people, but <laughs> but generally speaking, what are the benefits that you offer for why someone should vote for you as prom queen? I don't know. I what? don't know what it is, but I know that Kelly should have been prom queen. Like that to me, it's just like so <laughs> obvious that like Kelly was the one who should have been prom queen. I don't know why we're even thinking about Vicky. Look at Kelly. Look at her. She's so cool. <laughs> She's really cool. I would have voted for her. Yeah, like she knows how to wear a bow in her hair. She can pop a collar. Uh, she wears a, a white jacket with a, a, a pink. Uh, collared shirt i mean yeah i'd vote for her too i mean she's a terrible person i don't want to ever know her but i would vote for her just to uh, avoid her her sideways glance at me uh something that vicky doesn't really take to and we can start to see the mary lou influence begin like she's kind of coming under her sway because when vicky tells her you know uh, you should probably take the hint like your friend Jess and kill yourself, I guess, is the implication. <laughs> Vicky tells her to shut her fucking mouth, bitch, um, which comes out of nowhere. And you're like, oh, well, hello. Who are you, Vicky? Well, hello, Mary Lou. <laughs> hello. <laughs> but she does it very convincingly. She goes from zero to 60 real fast. And you're like, wow, OK, I can get behind this. This is followed by Michael Ironsides in the reflection of the display case staring fuck daggers at her, (laughs) which is a very Michael. Like, it doesn't seem out of place. You're like, yeah, he would do that. Yeah. Okay. You buy it. It's just typical high school principal behavior. Cut to the lunchroom where Josh is having his usual lunch of unfrozen French fries, a Pepsi with the label turned very clearly towards the camera and a slice of unfrosted cake with two forks stuck into it. (laughs) (laughs) Very carb laden meal that he's having. And we have the first of what will be like three conversations uh, with, uh, with Monica about whether or not he's going to have a date at the prom or either of them are going to have a date at the prom and it just goes and goes and goes and goes and goes. I don't want either of them to have a date at the prom. I don't really care for either of them. (laughs) No. They they don't matter at all. Again, Josh is trying very hard for Val Kilmer in this scene. He's delivering Dennis Miller. And that might just be the zhuzh sleeves. I'm not sure. Or the overabundance of hair on his head. Everyone has too much hair in this movie. There's a lot of hair in this movie. And while Vicky is getting her food and we see this lunch lady who has the most elaborate brooch I've ever seen on anyone very happily doling out food, someone taps her on the shoulder and the world goes Freddy. We immediately go to Nightmare on Elm Street vision here. There's leaves on the ground. The lighting is very focused and downward. Everything goes to gray. And our lunch lady now appears to be serving worms, cockroaches and woman face soup they ordered out from the same uh, same place that uh, the lost boys got their chinese food <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was a big thing everyone decided they were going to freak people out with uh with worms and food i guess that's pretty effective yeah it's true i don't want to see it yeah and well here i mean we are. we're gonna be eating worms in like three years because of 
Sorry, I get negative, but I'm like, <laughs> but I'm like, you know, like food sources are going to be dwindling. We're going to be eating worms. We're not going to look at the scene the same way. You know, it's going to be like, oh, this is scary. This is not scary. This is That's what our lunch. lives are. Yeah, this yeah. is like dystopia. You know. <laughs> um, and uh, Vicky takes Cher's advice from Moonstruck and snaps out of it, only to end up in an, uh, an abandoned Overlook Hotel hallway where the water in the water fountain turns into gravy, blood, <laughs> yoo-hoo, I can't tell. Oju. Seems Oju. like Oju. It's just like, oh, someone's been eating prime rib. <laughs> oh. I, what I need is a nice roast beef sandwich with a, a crisp French roll. It's just, just dip it right in there. It's just brought to you by Arby's, you know? <laughs> it's like... So oh it, please, we, let's we go saying, to Clifton's. Let's let's have a meal. We were saying that uh, you know the school has its own you know its own art program, its own dance program. Why wouldn't it have its own French dip fountain? <laughs> <laughs> this is the yes. I mean, this school is very well funded. Arts, dipping gravy <laughs> in fountains. It's got it all. Oh, so cool! The best lunch. The best one. <laughs> it really is. Even though there's some cockroaches. It's not all cockroaches. It's orga- they're yeah. organically raised cockroaches. Yeah, well, I mean, they're high in protein. You're just thinking about that, you know, health conscious. Everyone's watching their way. Uh, Vicky then notices some sort of echoey greaser yeah, uh, opposite I, her. I, I wrote I wrote him down as just evil Fonzie. <laughs> yeah i i this is the stephen kingonization of horror because he always has evil greasers in his books yeah and that like, sort of permeated where like everyone's like yeah i don't find that scary but he does so well everyone must so put an evil greaser in the movie yeah after reading i read a lot of stephen king when i was young and and i being a being a uh, you know assaulted by greasers was something that didn't really play out in my actual life as much as I thought it would. <laughs> you mean they're not crawling all over uh, South Jersey uh, in broken down cars, uh, having uh, very loud lovers' arguments at one another? No, no, no one ever has pulled a switchblade on me. No one who you know, supposedly died fifty years ago has ever come back to taunt me. Not a single one. Oh, that's so sad. I'm so disappointed. I mean, that's what you were promised. Um, (laughs) It's just, it's really hard to grow up. And really, and really, deserve to have the theme of every Stephen King story is how hard it is to grow up. Yeah. Yeah. I I want to say this to you, Gina. You deserve to have a rapey greaser in your life. Oh, thank you, Patrick. That's from my heart. It's the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me. You guys, you guys just go on. I'm gonna, I'm gonna step away for a few oh minutes. My God. <laughs> you know, there's actually like a lot of writing about um, uh, the idea of greasers um, being this kind of source of nostalgia in the the 1980s, from like 82 through uh, like 89, and it, and it was in the music and everything. You know, there there was a lot of um, nostalgia for that era of like the 1950s, in the same way that there's a lot of nostalgia now for the 1980s. Um, and yeah, music, film, everything. There was a lot of greasers everywhere in the 1980s. And I can't remember, there was like, there's a few articles or books that were recommended to me on the subject, but it was something I hadn't really thought about. 
uh, in those terms. So it wasn't even Stephen King. He was just tapping into like this zeitgeist that was happening at the same time. Um, you know, a lot of doo-wop that was infused into 80s pop. It's so weird. But I mean, it makes sense. It was like the, the right amount of time had passed to be like nostalgic about that era. Yeah. Yeah, and it was also because, uh, as we are apparently getting into now, it, we didn't we were, we had another Cold War sitch, mm-hmm. so yeah, we were, we were being very nostalgic about everything about the, uh, the 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 time period, and you know when people used to dress a certain way, and then you know everybody wore poodle skirts, even though nobody actually wore poodle skirts back in the fifties. My 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 father always liked to pop the little bubble of you know telling me what the fifties were actually like, <laughs> and that they did not in fact look like happy days. I was disappointed to find out. Vicky manages to uh, escape her assaulter, and that's really what this is, just like this weird sexual assault that occurs in this hallway, and she runs out and then smash cut to her at her own kitchen table with her uh, mom and dad. There's two things on the table directly in front of her. The world's largest pitcher of milk and an empty coffee carafe. Mm-hmm. This is very weirdly dressed, set dressed movie. Is this like um, some sort of Nazi thing? Like I'm trying to like the whole milk thing. It's like what what is this? What are we talking about? We're we talking know. about like purity, you know, a lot of purity, a lot of emptiness. I was just like, I'm gonna read really far into these two objects. I think you're reading more into the objects than maybe the filmmakers might have. That's a or, possibility. You're reading exactly what they wanted to get across. I wasn't particularly sure, but this is the first time that I had noticed them. And I was like, that she doesn't even have any food on her plate. She's just <laughs> sitting in front of a, a tub of milk and an empty coffee carafe. <laughs> um, well, her mother's teaching her a lesson in, in self-denial. Oh, very, well, she's going to get more of it. Because when Vicky <laughs> reveals her secret plan to not attend... the her first year at Western University, like Craig, this does not go over well with mom. She just clutches major pearls at the very thought of this. <laughs> uh, and dad is, again, no help. He is completely emasculated in this situation. And Vicky just ends up running for the hills up to her room to paint her nails and be stared at by her obscene rocking horse and flirt with herself with some sort of be lipstick reflection winks at her. So we're starting to get the takeover of her body by Mary Lou. This is possession by way of makeup flirting. I love that. I love She's got like that heavy eye makeup on where they gave her eyebrows again. And, <laughs> and uh, I, I, I like that little uh, face flirting thing that she does the little wink. Cause for like, I have a really hard time um, telling people apart like most actors, like most shows, for instance, are just like, oh, there's a blonde woman. Is that the same blonde woman that was the other blonde woman? Like, I can't really figure it out. Um, and with this, when she put like the, the eye makeup on and was like flirting in the in the mirror, I was just like, oh, is that the the actress that played Mary Lou? And I couldn't figure out like, it's just like two white women who looked the, exactly the same to me. <laughs> like, <laughs> so I really thought it was the actress who played Mary Lou in the beginning who was then um, looking in the mirror with like a wig on or something. And I had to watch it like three times to be like, no, that's actually the blonde actress. 
Sorry. <laughs> you guys probably knew it right away, but I was like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've never seen her with makeup on at this point. Or so with eyebrows. Any- yes. Like, well, oh they're usually God. covered up with those crazy curly cue bangs that she has going on that, that lean over her face like the, the, the coping on a pool. The, the, the funny thing is about this scene is that she's, to me at least, I, I don't usually wear her makeup, but she does not look like she's wearing that much makeup. No. But but her reaction when she snaps out of it, she 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 looks at herself in shock, like she's paying herself to look like divine. She's just like, oh god, god I gotta get it off, I gotta get it off. <laughs> it's just like it's like you barely put like lipstick on, you look fine. You look like any average high school student. But she's like like she's just shocked, she's appalled at, at how you know she's painted her face like a harlot. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm serious. Carry uh, uh, tones in this movie that never, never hit quite right. <laughs> they never quite get there. It's definitely those are the two touchstones that they were going for here is Carrie, Nightmare on Elm Street. I think it uh, it accomplishes Nightmare on Elm Street more successfully. I would posit that if this didn't have the Mary Lou sequence to it and really Freddy just popped out, I wouldn't go, oh, that's out of nowhere. It just... It felt like it kind of lived in that universe. It it worked for me in, in that regard. The Carrie stuff, it doesn't work quite as well. It doesn't have that magic. It, it's Carrie with like about 10 times as many creepy dudes in it. <laughs> because in Carrie, the, really the only, for lack of a better phrase, bad guy was John Travolta's character. I mean, William Catt's character was kind of a little iffy but turned out to be a you know more or less decent guy in the end but in this one the only guy the only male character that's not you know kind of a little at least a little weird is her boyfriend but yeah but she's got you know these older men who are just like you know eye fucking her left and right and and you know the the you know i'm jumping ahead a little bit but the the science teacher who you know heretofore has never given any indication of such thing is like cupping her ass in the middle of a class <laughs> it's just it's like everybody in the classroom yeah and just everybody like like i guess it's supposed to be a sign of how just sexually alluring she is is like suddenly nobody could take her eyes off their, their eyes off of her and everybody just behaves in a way that's kind of a little questionable at minimum yeah that it's that v-neck uh cable knit that she's wearing I think that that just drives them wild. It's like, I love a woman in baggy, on ill-fitting clothing. Yeah. <laughs> and that, I love that science teacher, you know, and the, the theme of so many characters being named after horror directors is named Mr. Craven. That's, that's the way she a... says it in that one scene, it's just great. She's like, Mr. Craven. <laughs> <laughs> Rewinding just a little bit, we do get this, again, the same scene that we had with uh, Josh and Monica in the in the cafeteria we get again the only sort of standout of the scene is that we discover that Josh is wearing sandals with socks <laughs> and biking you don't bike is. with sandals on man what what are you, you doing you yeah. do when you're Josh <laughs> they're not even sandals they're like like sp- more specifically they are Birkenstocks like yeah like very I what the hell is going on with this costume I don't really don't understand it uh it is crazy it's like they they put a bunch of people's costumes in some sort of darkened tank and he just reached in and pulled out random items and whatever he pulled he has to wear (laughs) 
cut to what appears to be a Montgomery Ward teen active wear catalog shoot. No, it's PE class. And if you thought playing with the boys volleyball scene from Top Gun and thought, what if this was shot in a way where I didn't want to have sex with anyone on screen? Well, <laughs> your wishes come true. At one point, Josh and Craig do this high five thing where they uh, teen wolf at one another. It's very odd. (laughs) I know that they're playing this off like, this is our thing. And you're like, that shouldn't be your thing. That shouldn't be anybody's thing. Does it end like in a hug or something? I can't remember. Something really weird. There's like a chest bump and a high five. And then then they're like in a thriller video. They're like, wah, 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 at each other. (laughs) Man. Do they touch like foreheads or something? There's just <laughs> there was something really weird that happened that I couldn't remember, but it was something like like very intimate. <laughs> like what? Very. Everybody in this movie is very touchy with each other. Like very touchy. Like like way more touchy than than anybody ever is in high school. I'm looking at it right now. There's so many one-handed hits of this volleyball. It's terrible. <laughs> Um, yeah, they touch foreheads and stick their tongues out at one another. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you. For no reason. Like, that's that's how you celebrate? You should come up with a different celebration. <coughs> and they filmed it, and they're like, great, moving on. This, this looks like something 17-year-old boys would do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't need to reshoot this at all. Yeah. Half half the women in here are wearing leotards, and then Kelly is wearing something you would wear to a beach blanket bingo sitch. Well, you know, because she's repressed, right? Like she's that's what I, I don't know what they I don't have no idea. <laughs> yeah, but uh, this results in some sort of kerfluffle about who has to serve. But uh, Kelly then ends up beaning Vicky in the head with the ball, and Vicky awakens back in Freddy World, surrounded by crotch. <laughs> Everywhere you look is just you're at crotch level. Um, <laughs> this movie is not subtle, and I think it works to its benefit. But every once in a while, you're like, ah, maybe we could add a dose of subtlety. What do you say? <laughs> um, because next up, we we get some pure dream logic. Vicky ends up being backed uh, up towards the net uh, by what appear to be uh, PE zombies. And then the volleyball net becomes a spider web and she twirls and twirls and twirls herself in it. And she ends up waking up in Craig's loving lap shouting, I'm not Mary Lou. (laughs) (laughs) And meanwhile, Kelly is just clutching a diet Pepsi for strength. Yeah. I I was just like, Oh, is she, she going to drink that now? Wow. She's just kind (laughs) of cruel. (laughs) She needs it. She needs whatever that sugar substitute is. Yeah, she's just probably causes cancer in rats. (laughs) She's so cool. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just like, wow, I would worship her. (laughs) She does wear a mean headband. I'll give her that for sure. This uh, prompts Principal Arson to go check out that old haunted drama costume room. And what follows is two solid minutes of Michael Ironside making O faces and flashing back to that time he lit his prom date on fire. Fond memory. We we all have we all have <laughs> Yeah. That's right. Definitely. Yeah, you cast your mind back to your big prom. Hmm. Oh yeah. I did light my date on fire. That's right. <laughs> and this sort of smash cuts to Vicky 
I, she she comes home with Craig and she's being uh, and her mom goes, I, I, I know what's the matter with you, because Vicky says, I, I think I might be getting the flu. And she's like, oh, there's nothing wrong with you that a little God won't fix. Head right on over to confession. So that's exactly what Vicky does. Only she shows up to this entirely abandoned Gothic church in the same cloak that Mary Lou did. And we cut in between there to uh, Michael Ironside burning the class picture of that broke earlier in the movie uh, because setting things on fire has worked out for him pretty well so far. <laughs> yeah, that's how you take care of your problems. That's how I was taught. I don't know about you. Set your problems on fire. Be done with it. <laughs> that's right. It's Burn like your sage. trash. Yes. Burn- Just like sage. Yeah. <laughs> ain't, n- ain't nothing a little lighter fluid can't cure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we have an art alert. Uh, not since Friday the 13th, part two, have we seen such challenging portrait work done by an individual <laughs> as rendered in this film. <laughs> I will put it up on on Twitter and Instagram when we get around to it. But I was wondering what you guys thought of these renderings. Who are they meant to portray? Because what I was getting was one person looked like Gregory Harrison circa Razorback, <laughs> and the other one looked like Tori Amos. Yeah, definitely the Tori Amos one. I could see that a lot. Her self-portrait looks like Tina Yothers. <laughs> Actually, yeah, it does. It does. It totally does. Well, I mean, it would it be better? What would have been better? You know, that kind of, you know, slightly, and I, I can't draw a straight line, so I have no room to judge, but slightly amateurish drawing or you know, something that would have been on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. I mean, <laughs> if they're trying to go for realism, they've got yeah. it. Oh, they've no. got it. They've, they've nailed it. It's not quite as out of place as Alice's portrait of Aladdin Insane in, in her <laughs> sad, sad New Jersey apartment from from Friday the 13th Part 2. Um, it does look like someone from high school drew them. I'll give it that. I just couldn't place them as to who they were. Uh, but that's really besides the point, because the star of this particular scene is Pervy Rocking Horse. Oh, God. It's- Pervy Rocking Horse Maybe you haven't watched Prom Night 2, and you're like, Patrick, what are you talking about, a pervy rocking horse? I'm talking about the rocking horse the size of an adult that no one would ever sit on if you were a child because it would be too high. And no one would ever sit on as an adult because you would look fucking insane. (laughs) And also because because it's going to try to fuck you. Yes. It is totally (laughs) going to fuck you. Yeah. I mean, honestly, even if I weren't like in a horror movie and there was like a rocking horse in my room, I would be like, that horse is likely going to come to life and try to fuck me. There's nothing that tells me it won't. Um, you're, you're just gonna lay there the whole night and just stare right at it, like don't even tr- don't even think about it, man. Yeah, don't even try to fuck me. I know that that's why you were made. Um, the the horse decor in this room is just like on point too. There's even there's like a, a short shot of like a, a Ron Kimball stallion art print, and it says stallion in big letters, so you know. <laughs> It's so a you can stallion. identify it. Yeah. Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah, I, I mentioned this in the last episode. I'm going to mention it in the next episode. This horse is veiny. Yes. And it so is so many veins. It is never, ever anything less than fucking horrifying. I, I mean, beyond that, it has a tongue and sticks its tongue out and rolls its eyes like it's just ejaculating all everything in that room. <laughs> it's veiny. It's upsetting. <laughs> 
<laughs> its teeth are like uh huge um it looks like <laughs> it looks as though like it got teeth implants like its teeth rotted as well which i think is fantastic for an effect ron oliver in his screenplay had uh, described it multiple times as lascivious and <laughs> oh yeah mission accomplished yeah and and that was like his one major thing was like i need um jim doyle to make the most lascivious rocking horse that like you could ever imagine and he did and you know jim doyle had made the you know the the glove for nightmare on elm street like he's like a fucking genius and they put him on this fucking horse ah yeah yeah i think all this horse was lacking was just crude drawings of penises and vaginas all over it (laughs) oh yeah you know we never got to see if it was hung but i would not put it against like i would not put it past them if like this thing had like a giant dong of a (laughs) like on a rocking horse just like no one commenting on it just had a big dong and they're like "Eh, just accurate the whole thing is like a penis on four legs it's nuts how phallic it is. I mean, it is effective. Like, once you see it, it works its, and I'll put this in dick fingers, magic on you. <laughs> You're never going to forget the first time you saw this penis horse stare at you with its red eyes and veiny neck. Oh, my God. Ron Oliver, who is, um, he, he is gay, um, but he had a very interesting idea about female sexuality when he was writing this because he was, like, very sure... Like, it's still very sure. He's like, women love horses because it's a it's a sexual thing where they get to control or have perceived control over a giant creature. And I was like, he might he might have a point. <laughs> <laughs> very, very subconsciously, maybe. Very. Yeah, very, very. Very uh, subconsciously, um, maybe, but yeah, he really, he really brought that out here, and I was like, I'm not, I'm not sure. Like, maybe ask some horse girls what they think first. I don't. Yeah. Maybe if there's horse girls listening, I had a few of you as friends when I was growing up. Like, what is it? What is it that that you love about horses? How many of you have giant rocking horses in your bedroom right now? <laughs> well, what happens immediately after this? this penis horse looks at her sideways is she gets into bed and she's molested by her own silk sheets, which is kind of cool and kind of ridiculous. That was a, that was a big effect during that time period because you got like a poltergeist. Then there was the incredibly unpleasant movie, the entity, Mm -hmm. uh, which both of these, all of these movies did the effect of invisible hands Rubbing mm-hmm. all over a woman's body. It's never a man's body. It's always no. a woman's body. The, the the ghosts are never interested in touching men. It's only it's only <laughs> female bodies. But it's well, a, it's it's you know it was an interesting effect, but it was definitely really played out by this point. In the entity's defense, there are very few invisible hands that want to run their their invisible hands all over actor activist Ron Silver's body. <laughs> <laughs> Fair point. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um. But the effect of this is obviously they were aiming for the uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street, Freddy coming out of the wall and knocking the crucifix off effect here. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, there are some effects here that really work. And this is one of them. It doesn't belabor the point. We're not staring at this for hours. It's very brief. But you feel she is unsafe. There's no place where, where Vicky is safe from the spirit of Mary Lou. 
My only question is, is presuming that her parents still buy her most of her things, do you really think her mom would buy her silk sheets? Yeah, I'm not too sure. I mean, I, I really expected her to still have like, you know, Holly Hobby sheets or, or, you know, Rainbow Bright or just something from when she was still like a child or just, you know, burlap sacks just to, yeah. so, just so she'll constantly be reminded of Jesus' sacrifice. <laughs> yeah, Jesus hates silk. He was the last <laughs> thing that I, I was taught in Catholic school. He hates silk. Oh, that's a whole section in there. You're like, I get it. Oh, my God. You don't like silk. Yeah, once you get to the thread count part of the Bible, shit just gets so (laughs) boring. When you, you know, when you get into a bed with silk sheets, you're just flying right out the other side of it. Oh, my God. It's true. (laughs) The crazy thing about this is that once your oversized hobby horse comes to life and tries to fuck you, I'm not going back in that room again. I'm just not. Not unless I'm into it, and then sure. But if I'm not, I'm not going back into that room. That is a hard pass for me. Or, or you're selling the horse on whatever the Canadian 80s version of Craigslist was. <laughs> Please, <laughs> buy my fuck horse. I don't want it anymore. <laughs> what, what do you think a fuck horse goes for these days on the open market? Oh, a haunted one? Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, eBay, people love that haunted shit. And if you have, like, a sexy <laughs> angle, like, this horse might try to fuck you. I'd say you could go for, for a grand or so. I mean, mm, yeah. the craftsmanship behind it is exquisite. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes. every vein is just, you know, lovingly handcrafted. <laughs> uh, and this prompts Vicky, or, or is it Father Buddy? He's just wandering the plots at night. Who knows? Father Buddy then attempts to perform an exorcism on his own chapel, I guess. He's in a, he's in a, it's not even a pentagram. It's just like a diamond shape of, of candles. Uh, and then he heads out to Mary Lou's gravesite where he throws a Bible at the headstone and it explodes. <laughs> <laughs> Which, it's a new one on me, but okay. Uh, hopefully that Bible is covered under warranty because it should not explode on impact like that. That is unsafe at any speed, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> uh, Father Buddy is then uh, then visits Principal Dad with the largest book I've ever seen in my life. This, it, I uh, gotta say, this is also the scene where I realized that Michael Ironstad had a really nice butt. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I was like, oh, okay, all right. Okay, Michael Ironside doing squats. Let's see what that booty did. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Listen, he was a man of a certain age, and he was keeping it high and tight. Good for him. Um, <laughs> Got to take it where you can get it in this movie in terms of hot dudes. Um, <laughs> but uh, this is where Father Buddy decides to read a religious text entitled The Gospel of This Film's Plot, letting us know <laughs> that if a person dies violently, their spirit wanders purgatory for eternity waiting to get revenge is that this in the bible does... <laughs> that is not a bible that he's holding on to that's some sort of supplementary text and i i say that as a person who's raised mormon with some supplementary texts <laughs> um yeah that is some sort of uh standard operating procedure manual that catholic priests get i'm not sure yeah i'm thinking that this is something they made up <laughs> he just he just I, I love the way he explains it like and again like like you know, reverend buddy just buys into real quick that this is this is mary lou mary lou spirit coming back to to seek revenge and generally speaking i mean i i 
I I was friends growing up with someone whose father was a uh, a Catholic church deacon, and they're not actually too big on the whole demonic spirits thing. I mean, even even beyond like in in movies like The Exorcist and uh, the Amityville Horror, where they have to you know they have to prove you know they have to bring evidence to the church where they'll prove an exorcism. They generally do not believe in this kind of thing, and and I don't think that a any priest worth his salt is just going to show up and say, "Yep, well, it's, it's a common thing that when someone dies violently, their soul wanders purgatory until it's time to seek vengeance." <laughs> oh, is it that time? Okay, <laughs> all right. Sure. Thanks for coming by uh, all these years late, 30 years later to <laughs> well, let me know this. Better buddy. late than never. Maybe maybe you shouldn't have fucked my girlfriend, buddy. It was the one line that never gets spoken aloud. I mean, yeah, that's the subtext of the entire movie. You know, like, <laughs> mm, maybe you shouldn't have fucked my girlfriend. It's like, really, Reverend Buddy, this is all your fault. When I mean it, it is it is not his fault though. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> it really isn't. <laughs> Kelly uh, then uh, visits Josh in the uh, very abandoned AV club of this high school, and what she would like from Josh is this: fix the computer voting for prom queen again. She is practically running unopposed, so. <laughs> I'm not really sure why she needs to bribe Josh with 100 crisp Canadian dollars. No attempt to make this American at all, which I kind of like. Because (laughs) the first prom night tries very hard to make it seem Canadian, even though everyone in the movie is sorry, very sorry about their accent. Not as sorry as Canada Cop from Friday the 13th Part 8. But what are you going to do? But Josh types his demand into the computer and Kelly is not having it. Spoiler alert for a movie that came out supposedly in 1987. That demand is a blowjob. Which is kind of shitty since he's also trying to get uh, Monica. And and they treat his scenes together with Monica as kind of cute and playful. And now they like each other, but they're going to pretend they don't like each other for whatever fucking reason. Yeah. Um, and then like, Oh nope, he's kind of a scumbag. Yeah. I, it almost feels like they're two different movies and they sandwich them together. They can't quite decide what Josh is supposed to be. I'm fine with him being an a-hole because he dresses like one. I'm fine with him <laughs> acting like an a-hole because he dresses like one and acts like one. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> But don't make him have puppy dog eyes for Monica and her giant school bear uh, on top of that. It's very ill-fitting. Vicky examines a yearbook that, luckily for her, Monica has brought from her family that is from 1957. Kelly uh, then (laughs) immediately goads her and, uh, and then Vicky looks over at Kelly and her face is replaced by Mary Lou and Vicky just slaps the taste out of her mouth. <laughs> just a full open-handed slap that you can hear all the way across the room. And there are also some awesome punk background players in this movie. <laughs> There's some people with some envious looking cool jackets with lots of cool band patches safety pinned to them. While in detention though, Vicky looks up and sees help me drawn backwards on the blackboard as if someone is writing from the other side of that blackboard. And we are then 
transported into the best effect sequence in this entire movie where Vicky is is sucked into a swirling vortex of this blackboard. It's a visual that is so well executed that if it had been used in A Nightmare on Elm Street, it would be revered as an all-timer. That is how effective I think this sequence is. Yeah, Jim Doyle did that too. And he um, they built the set on a gimbal. So they that means that they had the camera there and they were rotating this room um, as it was shooting. So eventually she would fall into the chalkboard water which is it's just brilliant it's so so well done every time i see it i'm like damn that's really really good the lighting works for it and then after she sucked in and the board returns to normal Mm -hmm. the letters that were in one corner are now jumbled throughout the board like it's been swirling in a hot tub it's just it's really well thought out it's better than you would think prom night two would ever be based on prom night one (laughs) which is ungood in a lot of ways oh yeah with the exception of slick we all love slick he's a her suit slightly tubby lothario we all want to dig into his history american history book of doobies and hang out with him for the rest of our lives but that is the highlight of that movie whereas here there's some cool shit y'all when the, the scene returns to normal, of course, the, the, the letters are mixed around. And then Vicky reappears in the drama costume room of Doom, sweaty, naked, and now fully prese- possessed by the spirit of Mary Lou. We, we know she's possessed because she kind of her voice drops a couple registers. Yeah. Which is which is another uh, another horror movie trope. When a when a uh, when a woman is possessed, she suddenly develops the voice of Kathleen Turner. <laughs> shit am i possessed um maybe oh, maybe <laughs> well i'm not gonna say you're not possessed <laughs> <laughs> sorry Just cough the devil out there's some, something <laughs> trying to get out I'll, I'll take a break uh cut to father buddy's very empty church where vicky lou shows up here and she is wearing mary lou's outfit from the very beginning of the movie she does the exact same monologue about wanting to have sex with her uh boyfriend and other boys at school uh father buddy chastises her and says that she must remain pure uh in the light of god uh gives her certain things to get her penance at which point she hulks the fuck out (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> straight out of the night late 1970s incredible hulk tv series and just punches her way through the uh through the confessional into buddy's uh half of it picks up the pointiest crucifix you ever seen in your life and buddy basically says no please please don't uh and i can't i'm not entirely sure what prompts it but basically buddy says that she won't reach heaven or something like that or no no it mary lou is saying when i died you don't want to know there is no god there was no heaven but you want to know the very worst part there wasn't any wings and then she stabs buddy to death there's no wings (laughs) oh god that's good it's kind of awesome it's kind of badass I kind of love this movie. That performance, <laughs> like, and of course, you know, the the director has her looking straight at the camera when she's when she's uh, delivering this. Um, mm-hmm. 
this sad speech about no wings. Um, and I just, I love that effect. And I think this actress gives such a good performance in, in this scene. I was really impressed. Um, and I kind of almost liked her a little bit more than Kelly at that point, which was really hard for, you know, I really like Kelly in this movie. <laughs> That's right. Um, it's understandable. They're neck and neck. The next day, uh, I'm going to start calling her Vicky Lou, just so everyone remembers. Uh, is dressed, as we mentioned before, in saddle shoes and a loose-fitting Agora sweater. <laughs> and she returns those fuck eyes at Principal Dad with uh, a that kissy, he sent little, her way little, earlier. With a little kissy face, I think. Yeah. And she uh, also, she's, she's also wired to be playing Hello, Mary Lou, which is, which is <laughs> fascinating. She's, you can tell that she's possessed uh, because she's chewing gum loudly, uh, barking orders at the prom decoration committee members. And she says, and, and nobody has ever said, see you later, alligator, in a more menacing tone of voice <laughs> right. than Vicky Lou in this movie. It's absolutely true. That there is, there is murder in those words. <laughs> she will um, not see you later, is what she's no. meaning. <laughs> if she's going to see you, she's going to kill you mm -hmm. later. So, you know, weigh whether or not you want to be seen accordingly. Um, <laughs> after this, uh, this is when... And it, this appears to be a different day because they're wearing different outfits. But I, I can't tell. There, there's some editing choices here that leave something to be desired. But in science class, uh, Vicky Lou has her ass grabbed by Professor Craven. And she's stoic about it. She does not react right away. But basically is told by Professor Craven, you need to pay attention. And this is gained by ass grabbing. This has got to be Mary Lou's influence both on her and Professor Craven, who, outside of this, does not appear to be an overly sexual human being. And then she sets fire to his crotch. <laughs> yeah. That's actually, that was a scene that they added in in reshoots because um, Ron Oliver, the writer, actually directed the reshoots. So oh. they had cut out, um, uh, they left about 65%, or no, I'm sorry, 65 minutes of the original cut. And then Ron Oliver got like 100 grand to go and do reshoots. So that scene with um, uh, Mr. Craven, the science teacher, um, the reason she's wearing something different is because it is months later when they uh. shot it and they added it in to kind of add this sexy element to it. Very sexy, you know, very, very <laughs> sexy scene. That's one thing I can say about it, right? Very uh, sexy. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, of her middle-aged teacher just, you know, snaking his hand down like nobody can see what he's doing and cupping her oh, butt. Yeah. yeah, definitely. <laughs> the way we all fantasize about <laughs> doing that. Oh, <laughs> um, okay. Anyways, he gets his crotch lit on fire by Bunsen burner, like we were all hoping. This then sets up Monica. She can tell something is not right. And she confronts Vicky Lou in, in the girls' locker room once everyone else leaves. And Vicky Lou is not having it. She's much more concerned with turning that radio back on than listening to her friend. At which point, Monica smashes the radio on the ground and says, you know, if you're not going to listen to me, I'm just going to go take a shower like I was intending to this entire time. This is when we get Vicky Lou seducing Monica in the shower. Well, this is what I was saying before about how everybody is very touchy in this in this movie. Like, it takes a while before Monica's like, oh, wait, hey, no, that's kind of weird what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. yeah she's kind of cool with her friend who's coming up behind her you know totally nude balls just you know rubbing on her shoulders and turning her around and getting in real close and kissing her face and it's like it's like oh wait no i don't want you to do that this is weird 
Yeah. That was weird? (laughs) (laughs) Well, how many pecks on the face would you take from a friend in the shower before things got weird? Because here, it's at least five. (laughs) I think the moment I felt hands on my shoulders, I'd be like, "Mm, what are you doing? (laughs) We haven't talked about this. (laughs) And for like half a second, Monica is not against it, and then she's very against it. But M- I can't tell. Much to the audience's disappointment, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she, first, to be certain, she is not into it after a while. Yeah. A long while, but after a while. Uh, this sends Monica into a lesbian panic attack, uh, <laughs> running with a hastily uh, attached uh, towel to herself, hiding from Vicky Lou who just strides around for the rest of the scene without a damn thing on. And it has so much power in the moment. It is obviously exploitative. But then again, she is she is out there as a woman for the first time in this movie. Like, I'm a woman. I'm plainly a woman. I'm sick of holding back my sexuality. So there's also an element of power to it. So I can't tell is it exploitation that works or is it just me being a dude well the the shot would have been a little bit different i think if it this is this scene is also uh ron oliver original and i think it you know it was shot by a gay man who wasn't necessarily maybe knowing how to leer at a naked woman (laughs) um and so you get these uh, these wide shots of her, for instance, um, where she's in the background, and so she's she becomes kind of like um, like a power object as opposed to um, a sex object in many of these parts. Um, like I, I I don't notice her sexuality as much as I notice that she's freaking me out with it, which yeah, is different. She, yeah, she's also a lot of times looking right at the camera. Which kind of makes it a little less like, you know, it's like the camera is looking at her. She's very much just kind of locking eyes with the viewer. But yet, at the at the, at the point where she, she kills Monica, she has a towel back on. Now, I don't know if I missed that she put one back on or if it was a continuity error. But she was not naked by the time she smooshes the lacquers together. That was a different scene, actually. Um, the, they cut that together. So that's, again, like editing things. Parts of this were filmed from um, the original director and parts were Ron Oliver. Ron Oliver is the one who was like, no, I think you should be naked. And because she, her biggest part, this role uh, was Prissy uh, and Anna Green Gables up to this point, mm. she was like, yes, I'm going to get naked. I'm going to do this. Um, and then when they had shot it originally, I think she was wearing a towel. And so they kind of cut these things together. So yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, no, you, you, this you, is you, all you, you, you were backing me up that it was a continuity error. So yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I just want to make sure I wasn't imagining it or, no. or I missed where she'd stopped to put on a towel. No, no, you you exactly caught that. It was two different two different directors, two different things. And Monica tries to there. This becomes sort of a shining maze sequence here, where the person hiding from someone else in a place where it's just rows of lockers. It, it would it. Honestly, if you're hiding in one row, that's you're that's where you're gonna get caught. But she decides to uh shove herself into a locker uh and try to like control her breathing or whatnot not to be caught. That's not gonna work with a supernatural killer like Vicky Lou, who mentally just 
smashes the lockers from either side into the one that Monica is hiding in and, and out dribbles pink oatmeal yeah. <laughs> grape juice that is that is that is that is that is straight that is that is straight up pink oatmeal just splurting <laughs> splurting through the, uh, the the locker vents it's not blood and guts i'll tell you that right now i guess it's but, supposed to be her brains or something it's a pretty cool sure. scene yeah. I, I yeah I, I, you know, I think it's actually probably in in this whole you know endeavor we've done so far, probably one of the coolest death scenes, because you know, number one, how are they going to explain that? That's a that's a <laughs> that's a scene that I I wish had been added in. Is is how are they going to explain how someone just got turned to mush between a bunch in a in a in a, in a row of lockers? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a hard engineering accident to explain. But you also couldn't say, oh. Vicky probably did that. She probably <laughs> made those two ends of lockers crush her best friend to death in the middle, uh, like a, a fruit gusher. Yeah, and we also <laughs> forgot, you know, that that she says, "A womp bop." I can't even say it right. <laughs> Can you say it right? A womp bop, a loo wop wop bam, boom, boom. Like, and again, it's like, oh, that's cool. Oh, man. And just before that, though, it should be noted, she drags her red nails across the metal of the locker doors. Just to remind everyone, this is an on-the-sly Nightmare on Elm Street movie, just by another name. Yes. Yeah. But it all works. I, I love that scene. You would never expect it to end that way. And so much of this movie is, you would not expect this to happen. You don't expect the veiny pervy hobby horse you just that none of this is expected it just all comes from a very different place and i like being jumbled out of the tropes that i would normally see it doesn't all work but at least this movie is swinging for the fences i think i think it hits more than it misses honestly it's just it's it's memorably weird <laughs> yes, that's the exact way I would I would say. I will not forget this. In fact, ever since I watched it, I've had Hello Mary Lou in my head. That <laughs> song. I cannot get it out. It's driving me insane. <laughs> so that leads us once again to Canada's second favorite game show, Choose Your Own Death Venture. And that is where we decide of the kills we've talked about in this section of the movie. If we were forced to die that way, which one would we choose and why? And up for bid today, we have stabbed by very pointy crucifix or squished inside a locker until you become pink oatmeal. And April, as our guest, I choose you to go first. So having been raised Catholic, I I fully believe that we don't get to choose anything. We are given the death that we are owed. Um, and I'm very sure that I would be owed the death, whether I want it or not in the church. So (laughs) I would, (laughs) I would be choosing, um, Father Buddy's death today, getting stabbed by a crucifix. And also it's just pretty badass, you know. (laughs) Right. Go please. But just what an obituary. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just, I'm already writing it in my head. It's so cool. Uh, April Wolf, noted journalist and writer, found dead in uh, by Stabby Crucifix. Uh, uh, we're, the police are seeking the Incredible Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
if you if you see Lou Ferrigno uh, sauntering down your street in torn jean shorts, please notify the police. <laughs> or Mark Ruffalo. Yeah, but not Edward. But not Edward Norton. No, 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 no. No one's looking for Edward Norton. No, it's so sad for him. He's like, "What about me? I could have done it." And you're like, "No, no, no, no." You couldn't have, Eddie. Sorry. So, Gina, uh, what say you? Oh, I love the locker death. I I love it so much. And again, I think in nine movies, well, I mean, I guess like 11 or 12, counting our bonus episodes, this is probably my favorite death scene that we have covered. It's just so weird and and like nothing I've ever seen before. And and as my soul ascends to heaven, presumably, I I would love to look down and just see people just like, like, trying to figure out how did this happen and how are we going to clean this up because think of the mess just 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 covered in in pink oatmeal and and viscera and they're never going to forget that and and i want to make sure that i am not forgotten when when i am crushed between a bank of lockers in a canadian in a canadian high school they'll put like a little memorial on the locker because they can't use it anymore It'll be exactly. really sad. they'll retire it in honor of you like a sports it's gonna, jersey it's just gonna be they're just gonna put a radio in it that's constantly playing angel by sarah mclaughlin god <laughs> oh that's the saddest thing i've ever heard of well uh as for myself i would initially uh want to choose death by sex from pervy hobby horse but that is not an option here so i am also going to go with squished inside of locker because the thing that happens before that is awkwardly kissing the woman and it ends up you're not going to have sex with her yeah that happened to me in high school yeah i i made some pecs to is this going somewhere and it not going anywhere no one ended up dead in the locker but there's a lot of preceding elements that feel very true to me. So, well, you probably shouldn't have just walked up behind somebody naked in a shower, Patrick. Well, <laughs> that was my move. There's, 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 my move there's, Gina. A, there's a conversation that needs to take place before doing that. Like, <laughs> but is, the, like, is this okay? That or... gives away the surprise. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! God. Oh, surprise! Oh, that's terrible. Oh, surprise! Oh, we have to take another shower after that. Oh God! Oh, it's the worst thing I've ever said out loud, and we've been doing this for two years. Yeah, and you recorded it. <laughs> yeah. Sure, I could edit it out, but he people won't. would know he was missing. He, ne- they he, never, he never edits out what I expect him to edit out. <laughs> <laughs> now. If it's going to embarrass me, those are the best parts. <laughs> uh, so that just about does it for this section uh, of the film. So, April, where can people read and listen to you more? Oh, God. I mean, do they really want to? Ugh. I do. Um, I think you're awesome. Oh, thanks. Um, uh, you can always go to um, Switchblade Sisters or Who Shot Ya, the two film podcasts that I uh, host or am on, um, on the Maximum Fun Network. Um, if you want to find me on Twitter, I am at a awolfful. Um, and uh, just beware, I'm really political and I'm into horror films, but also very political. Um, and uh, yeah, I often write for Village Voice and the rap and film comments. So you can find my writing there. Do it today, people. You will not regret it. 
it, it, as much as I, and I listen to Who Shot You every week, because I also love Alonzo and, and Ricky as well, but Switchblade Sisters is appointment listening for me. I get so much out of it. I love it, love it, love it. Oh, I thank you so much for saying that. I, I love, you guys do the same kind of, you know, pouring over movies that I love, you know, like you, that's the kind of thing that I, that I'm so into is just the details. And I, I just, I appreciate that, that you guys are into that too. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Gina, where can people find you on the internet? I write about old television and movies and general pop culture and occasionally boring personal stuff at GinaRadcliffe.com. And I am on Twitter. Uh, my name is porcelain seven two. And I, uh, I will put my own warning that I am kind of an asshole on there, so buyer beware. <laughs> you heard it here, not first. I think you've said that once or twice. It's just a friendly warning. I don't want anybody to be shocked and appalled. Oh, I thought she <laughs> was going to be I'm nice. So, I'm so gentle and kind and, and, and inoffensive on this program, so... <laughs> <laughs> that's right do it today people okay uh you want to reach out to us uh there's an easy way to do it it's on twitter it's it's simple at kill by kill pod if you have something longer than 280 characters to say to us which i somehow doubt but occasionally it happens reach out to us via email uh at kill by kill pod at gmail.com Instagram, Kill by Kill Podcast. We do fun things there. We have the Facebook groups as well, just in case you want to feed someone your personal information and then have them use it against you. <laughs> um, it's I, We didn't mention this at the top, Gina, but this episode comes out on Friday the 13th. And once again, in Kill by Kill tradition, we're not talking about a Friday the 13th movie on Friday nope. the 13th. We, we, we failed to plan yet again. I am so bad at this. <laughs> it's, it's te- I'm terrible at planning, but that's, but that's okay. You had a really great episode. So when it comes down to it, the way you could thank me for my bad planning, but delivering you quality programming by finding fantastic guests like April and the world's greatest co-host in Gina Radcliffe is by giving us a nice review on iTunes because it helps us get out there and be seen by more people and heard by more people. We would appreciate it from deep in the cockles of our black hearts. And so that pretty much wraps it up for this episode. Don't worry. The body count will continue as we wrap up. I think, I think we wrap up prom night too i'm not sure yes. I, I haven't watched ahead it is, it is. There, there are only there are only two more there are only two more deaths coming so yeah okay so th- this this will be it it's it's happened it happened so fast and yet every part of it is so wonderful thank you for spending it with us uh for myself and for gina and for april bye-bye everybody see you later We Write Good and is intended for entertainment purposes only. Friday the 13th is owned by Paramount Pictures. Jason is owned by New Line Cinema. No infringement is intended. Kill by Kill logo was designed by Josh Hollis. Visit him at joshhollis.com. The Kill by Kill theme was created exclusively for us by Revenge Body. Get the whole track and much, much more at revengebodymemphis.bandcamp.com today.